Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study where we study the scriptures line upon line. And happy Sabbath. This is the high holy day of the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Atonement. And so I pray that uh, your fast will go well. And certainly Zion's God reigns. And one day the whole world will be keeping these feast days and will be instructed by them. So we are the first fruits. We want to be edified by these days, make sure we understand the plan of God and the, the, the great meaning of this wonderful Feast of Atonement. And hopefully in your uh, Sabbath service, uh, the meaning of this day will be uh, explained and, and clarified. We are up to Isaiah chapter 30. And uh, we'll just pick up uh, from the uh, a verse in chapter 29. Again, we just want the continuity. But before we do that, uh, let's open with a word of prayer to our great God. Our Heavenly Father, we pause, as is our custom, to acknowledge you and to entreat you, Father, that you will bless us, especially on this high holy day as we observe the fast. And you'll bless us, Father, as we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We hunger and thirst, Father, to understand your word. We thank you for the ancient scriptures. We thank you for the prophets of old and all those who have contributed to what we call our Bible today. Thank you for the guidance, the light that it provides, especially, Father, in a world that's darker, that's growing increasingly perverse. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, for the light of your word and the, the the good news of this this great great message that's in the scripture we thank you lord and we pray that as our understanding deepens that our faith and our conviction would also deepen thank you lord we also want to thank you for your blessings that we've been reaching out to you for our sister lisa and just thank you god for the incredible gains that she's making uh, we thank you for your intervention. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for blessing our brother, uh, Murray, and just very happy father as he communicated to me that he was able to share a meal with her uh, before the fast. So thank you, God, for your ever mercies, your just continual uh, kindness toward us, your loving mercies, your loving kindness. We thank you and we ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are Isaiah 30, and uh, as I mentioned, I want to just um, pick up um, one verse from chapter 29, which we covered last week, but I just want to pick up this one verse in verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham. This is the one who redeemed Abraham. This is what he has to say concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. So as much as we covered all of this horrendous news uh, toward Jacob and specifically toward Judah, uh, in the end, God has a plan for Jacob. God has a plan for Israel and for Judah. The, he, he has covenanted to carry out this plan and he's, he's declared it from the beginning and, and nobody can withstand his plan. So as much as we're heading into the time of Jacob's trouble, what the scripture makes clear is the shame of Jacob is not forever. The glory of Jacob is forever. 
So with that in mind, we'll come into chapter 30, and you'll see that I have uh, side by side uh, the complete Jewish Bible. And in fact, um, for this chapter, I'm going to defer to the complete Jewish Bible. I just find sometimes with these narratives, um, the old English King James, although it might be an accurate translation, sometimes it's just a little difficult to understand exactly what it's saying. So for the most part, I'm going to defer to the complete Jewish Bible just for clarity of the narrative. Chapter 30 and verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, says Yehovah. And again, they're very careful not to say Yehovah, but we understand the scriptures. He says, woe to the rebellious children. So woe is cursed. It's the, the future is dark. This is not good. What's coming upon these people is not good. And although now we're speaking specifically of Judah, just because of the pattern of the relationship between the, the covenant people and Yehovah, you'll see this applies very much to the, the nations of Israel. But it is specifically now speaking of Judah. Woe, cursed, uh, dis, un, un, misfortune upon the rebellious children, says Yehovah. They make plans, but the plans are not mine. So, so they just feel so powerful, so independent. They're coming up with all these ideas and plans they want to execute. They do not refer in any way, shape, or form to the scriptures. They do not appeal to the Lord. They just, the arrogance and the pride of man. So they're making these plans, but the plans are not mine. And God says that his plans are from the beginning. He declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient days, that which is not yet done, saying his plans shall stand. But they don't care about that. They have their own plans. They develop alliances, but not from my spirit, in order to pile sin upon sin. And although this is speaking of Judah, uh, when we look at uh, America today as an example, developing these alliances, and we're hearing news of these uh, treachery, uh, traitors, forming alliances with China behind the previous president's back, if these, are, if these reports are true, we see this current administration developing alliances with, of all people, the Taliban, cooperating with the Taliban, looking for cooperation and, and collaboration from the Taliban uh, after you know, providing them with $85 billion in assets. This speaks of future horror. Woe to the rebellious children. What, what's coming is going to be dire because of these plans that they make, but in no way, shape, or form are these plans informed by God's spirit or by his scriptures. And why did they do this? So that they can pile sin upon sin. So it's just, it's just not heading to a good place. They're becoming, they're rebellious children, but they're becoming even more entrenched in their rebellion. Verse 2. They go down to Egypt, but don't consult me. So this Egypt is considered, uh, from Jerusalem perspective, the south. So they go down, they go south to the king of the south, to Egypt. Now, this is historically true, but the way the prophecies are written, they're, they're in cycles. So there's a, um, an original 
fulfillment, but it also lays down a pattern. So there's an end time fulfillment as well, that sort of duality in prophetic fulfillment. Right now, to us, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for Judah, the nation we call Israel today, to go down to Egypt. But Matthew 24 tells us that nation will war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So there's this reconfiguration of the earth. Who could foresee even a month ago that Afghanistan would be turned over to the Taliban? And not just turned over to the Taliban, but we would gift them as well $85 billion worth of the most advanced military equipment on the planet. A month ago, we wouldn't have seen that. And that changes everything. Now this official government is going to make its alliances with other governments, and uh, this changes everything. So we don't know the role of Egypt right now in the geopolitical world of the future. But the prophecy says that Judah, the nation we call Israel today, is going to want to make alliances with the South. And why? Because of the North. So the king of the North, which is Assyria, is going to be making threats to Judah. And because of that, Judah is going to run to Egypt for help, the king of the South. But they're, they're, they're going to be uh, impotent. They will not be able to help them. But they go down to Egypt, but don't consult me. Seeking refuge in Pharaoh's protection, so Pharaoh, the king of the South, seeking shelter in Egypt's shadow. That's, that's what they think they can do. But, the Lord says, Pharaoh's protection will bring you shame. Shelter in Egypt's shadow will lead to disgrace. And again, today we might say America running to China, making alliances with China. China's protection will bring you shame. The, the, the Communist Party hates you. And trying to make arrangements with them is going to bring you shame. So this is just a pattern of God's people. They keep running to Gentile powers instead of relying on God. But Pharaoh's protection will bring you shame. Shelter in Egypt's shadow will lead to disgrace. Though his princes are at zone and his envoys have reached Hanus or Hanus, they all are disappointed with a people that doesn't help them. So they're going deep into Egypt, looking at going to the key cities in Egypt, trying to seek this help. And they all are disappointed with a people that doesn't help them, who give no assistance and no advantage, only disappointment and disgrace. And again, even though this is speaking of Judah, we see the same pattern with the nations of Israel uh, and again, thinking that the Taliban are going to work with us to help get American citizens out of Afghanistan. And therefore, we can hand over to them a list of all the American citizens in Afghanistan with, with biometric details of how to identify them. And we'll give that to the Taliban and hopefully they'll help us get Americans out of there. It's really, it's so sad. In fact, when, when I look at this whole thing, it seems like a, a, a very public ritual of uh, shame and loyalty. It's like when you join a gang, for you to be accepted in the gang, you have to go and do something extremely uh, perverse and to demonstrate your loyalty. 
They may say, go and kill a family member, and then we'll accept you in the gang. And so you have to go and do these very perverse acts to demonstrate your loyalty. And to me, that, that's what this feels like, that, that who, who on earth in their right mind, in, in any, any leader, would say, yeah, we're going to pull out of this uh, hostile territory, but we'll take our military out first, and we'll leave all the equipment, and we'll leave all of our citizens there. That, to me, that this is unforgivable. It is uh, just, it's, it's inexplicable, except for the fact that I say, okay, it makes sense if this administration is not loyal to America, if their loyalties lie elsewhere, and they're demonstrating publicly, shaming themselves, but demonstrating publicly that they are not loyal to America. And they will hand over and make human sacrifices of Americans. Uh, that's that's what this appears to. That that's that makes it makes sense to me now. Because um, and that's the thing is you know again this um, uh, the laptop of Hunter Biden was all hush hush don't say anything about it but that mattered because that showed that this is a compromised leader somebody can pull his strings somebody has control over him and now because of that control he's making decisions that clearly are not in America's best interest. So uh, these people that they're trying to form alliances with, uh, it's only good, it will lead to no assistance and no advantage, only disappointment and disgrace. And in fact, uh, Judah themselves, we're looking at the nation of Israel today, um, doing everything under their own steam, under their own power, not by God. And it's going to lead to disappointment. But this is pointing to a time when the, what's coming from the north is such a big threat that they're going to seek help from the south. And we know from the prophecies in Daniel, the king of the north is going to crush the king of the south. So the king of the south will be no help at all to Daniel. Verse 6, a prophecy about the animals in the Negev. And Negev, again, is south, is in the southern part of Judah, heading into Egypt. In a land of trouble and anguish, of lionesses and roaring lions, of vipers and poisonous flying serpents, they carry their riches on donkeys' backs and their treasures on camels' humps to a people who will not help them. So the sense that we get here is they're going through the most um, treacherous parts of the desert in order to get to Egypt. And they're willing to put their lives at risk in order to carry these riches to Egypt to appeal for their help. And then this prophecy goes on to say, verse 7, for Egypt's help is worthless, pointless. So I call her arrogance doing nothing. I think this is, I, I love this translation. So God's, uh, so from man's perspective, Egypt looks really powerful. Egypt looks really glorious. So let's go to Egypt and get help. But from God's perspective, he looks at Egypt and calls her arrogance doing nothing. And that is a great way, I think, to really describe the whole um, Middle Eastern Gentile nations that really flaunt their glory. And they, they are not at all aligned with the God of the Bible. Although they claim to be, they are not at all. And so all of this arrogance leads to nothing. It's all vanity. And now he says this. 
and I'm just going to read this from the King James as I just prefer the, the poetry here and, and the, the phrasing. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book. Why? Why, why should the prophet write this down and record it permanently? That it may be for the time to come forever and ever. So God wants this relationship that he has with the covenant people and their rebellion against him. He wants it recorded that it may be for the time to come. So this prophecy was written thousands of years ago, but here we are heading into a very dark future, a time of trouble for Jacob, the likes of which the world has never seen. That's what we're heading into. And we can see all the clues and the evidence that we're kind of getting to this point of no return of the collapse of Jacob. And including in that collapse, including in that great tribulation, is Judah. In fact, Judah really is the focal point of the tribulation. And God wants this recorded. He wants it written down so that we who understand the good news of God's grace can preach this good news in the context of the rebellion of the covenant people that, that the, the kindness that's going to be shown to them has nothing to do with their righteousness. It has everything to do with God's righteousness. That if it was up to, if it was based on merit, if it was based on what they deserve, then the great tribulation should completely wipe out and completely destroy and completely remove any trace of these people from the earth, if it was based on merit. But it's not based on merit. It's based on covenant faithfulness, not by them, but by God. So God wants this recorded in a book. It's here recorded in the scroll so that this can never be erased. This is going to be known as we go through this great tribulation. And he explains further. I'll read from complete Jewish Bible. For this is a rebellious people. And that's how he opened. Woe to the rebellious children. Woe to the rebellious people. He says, this has to be noted. This has to be recorded. Why? It's, it's in their DNA. For this is a rebellious people. They are lying children. Children who refuse to hear the Torah of Jehovah. They, they just refuse to hear it. And again, although this is speaking of Judah, we can look at the nations, the modern day nations of Israel. We see the same thing. They just had to. We just had to. It was so important to get prayer out of the schools. This is just, it's, we got to separate church and state, and it's just so critical. We, we don't want to hear this in the schools. So we get rid of prayer out of the school, and now we have pedophilia in the schools to replace it. We go from prayer, having children pray, to preying upon children with pedophilia. These are rebellious people, lying children. They don't want to hear the Torah of Jehovah. And, and as it is with Israel, so it is with Judah. They say to the seers, do not see. You know, we don't want to hear this. We don't want to see this. Get, get, get this scripture. We don't want anything to do with Jehovah. They say to the seers, do not see. To those who have visions, do not tell us the visions you have as they really are. But flatter us. Fabricate illusions. And I've got to say, uh, even in the church today, the covenant community, with the Holy Spirit, we still like to be flattered. We like the ministers who, who, who make us feel good. 
who tell us that we're better than the world, who are always pointing the finger at how horrible the world is so that we can feel good about ourselves. These are the messages we like. But when we get a minister or a pastor who points out to us our hypocrisy, who points out to us the prophecies as they are, who points out to us that Jesus Christ is angry and he's coming in fury and that he's not to be taken for granted, we don't like that. We don't want to hear that. We, we, don't, we, don't want to, we don't need to hear from that minister. And if we're online, we can just switch him off and find someone that, that find a, a Joel Osteen who is just so dreamy and has such nice, such encouraging words for us that we're going to make it and everything's going to be fine and God loves us and God loves the world and name it and claim it. And, you know, he has just wonderful thoughts toward us and everything's going to be fine. Meanwhile, God's wrath is boiling over. They don't want to hear that. Flatter us. Tell us how important and special we are. This is the human dysfunction. Fabricate illusions for us. Just make it up. And even if we know it's kind of made up, because it makes us feel good, we like this. Get out of the way. Leave the path. Rid us of the Holy One of Israel. Wow. This I'm not, I'm not speaking. We're not, the prophet is not quoting Gentiles who happen to come into the path of the Holy One of Israel. And as they find out about the Holy One of Israel, they really don't want anything. This is so foreign to them. They don't want anything to do with him. No, no, no. This is what the covenant people, the covenant community, this is their response to their God. Leave the path. Get out. Rid us. We, we want take take them take them away from us completely. Rid us of the Holy One of Israel. And you see that again today in the Western nations that have really built their glory based upon Judeo-Christian principles. That you see this um, Protestant work ethic in these nations. That you look at, say, the Islamic nations. And they don't have this, that had it not been for the discovery of oil in, in Saudi Arabia, these people would never see any type of glory because they don't have this, this work ethic that comes from the Judeo-Christian principles, the God of the Bible. Now, ha having received this prominent position in the world, we see this attitude of we want nothing to do with the Christian God, nothing at all. We will bring in any other worshiper of any other god, and we will even have human sacrifice to these gods because we want nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Okay, have it your way. I, I, I hope it works out for you, but how is it work? Since you took prayer out of the schools some, I don't know, 30 years ago, how is it going? Are you seeing growth? Are you seeing prosperity? Or are you seeing decline and curses? So they want, they want nothing to do with the God of the Bible. And these are God's people. Therefore, here is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you reject this word, trust in extortion and rely on deceit. Again, this is speaking of Judah, but it might as well be speaking of Israel. Because we, we these uh, Western nations that are based on the Judeo-Christian ethic, same thing. You reject this word. 
you trust in extortion and rely on deceit. And again, this recent debacle in Afghanistan, you just see this relying on deceit, constant lies, trusting in extortion. This sin will become for you a crack bulging out high on a wall, showing signs it is ready to fall. So it's just ready to burst. Then suddenly, all at once, it breaks. And this, my friends, is our future in the West. Canada, America, England, Australia, New Zealand, all these nations that have been built up to this, this tremendous prominence in the world now are going backwards. And they don't see it, but it's going to come suddenly and all at once. And, and you know, those among us, and I've heard it, those among us who are looking forward to the collapse of America, who are participating in bringing down America, I, I, I hope you're ready for what's coming. I think those of us who are devoting ourselves truly to the word of God and who, who don't want to say, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us, uh, I think we're just going to take it. Whatever comes, comes. We'll deal with it. Take one day at a time. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. But I think those of us, those among us, who are trying to make this world a better place and who are aligning ourselves with, with pagan and um, secular movements to make this world a better place, to make this world more just, I don't know how you're going to cope with the disappointment that's coming. And I pray for you. I really do. I really pray for you that you will see that these people that you're aligning yourselves with mean you no good. They have no good intentions for you. And I think that's becoming clear as we just see the way the, these governments that some of our people are supporting, where they're heading and what they're doing to their own citizens and their, their hatred of the scriptures. I, I think it's becoming clearer. Certainly it's clearer now than it was two years ago, but maybe some of us still refuse to see. Because you reject this word, trust in extortion, and rely on deceit, this sin will become for you a crack bulging out high on a wall, showing signs it is ready to fall. Then suddenly, all at once, it breaks. And that is going to be tragic. That is going to be painful. He says, he will break it like a clay pot. So God is doing this. God is going to shatter this nation. He will break it like a clay pot ruthlessly shattering it into pieces, so tiny, not even a potsherd remains for taking fire from the fireplace or scooping water from the cistern. So you think of a, a big vase, let's say, and it falls and it breaks into pieces. Well, it's really useless, except for you know some of the pieces, maybe, hey, we could use that as a sort of a scoop, that that's still useful. No, it's not that the, the, the vase fell, it's that God took it and threw it down and shattered it with such force that there are no useful pieces, that the pieces are now, it's shattered so thoroughly that the pieces are so small, none of them are useful. This is what God is going to do personally to Judah, but he's going to do it through the rod of his anger. And, and that's why Judah's running to Egypt to see if they can get help, because God is going to use Assyria to destroy Judah. And this tribulation that's going to come upon the earth for three and a half years, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. 
So we who have lived in the West, particularly, and enjoyed the prosperity of the West, and really the whole world has benefited from the prosperity of the West. Well, that's disappearing really, really fast, and it will suddenly be all gone. And we can certainly see the decisions these uh, administrations are making. They're not leading to a good place. He says, verse 15, for this is what the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, the Holy One of Israel says. Here's what he says. Returning and resting is what will save you. So they're making plans, but not by God. They're making plans, but they're collaborating with Egypt. They're collaborating with the Gentiles. And God is saying it really doesn't have to be this way. So because this is what you've chosen, I personally am going to see to it that you are shattered. But even in that shattering, you can still be saved. This is the good news. This is the gospel according to Isaiah, that in returning and resting, you can still have salvation. Calmness and confidence will make you strong. But you don't want this. You want none of this. This is your salvation. This is your strength. But I, for some strange dysfunctional reason, Judah wants nothing to do with Jehovah. Now, when he says returning and resting is what will save you, this should bring to mind our go-to scripture from Moses, from Torah, Deuteronomy 30 verses one to three. Let's read it together again. I know I've read it many times, but once we've got this, we can go anywhere in the scriptures and it all makes sense. It kind of brings everything together. Deuteronomy 30 and verse one, and I'll read it from um, King James. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you. All what things? We just, we should have just read Deuteronomy 28 and 29, where there is a whole itemization of all of the blessings for obeying Torah and all of the curses for disobeying Torah. And so Moses, before the children of Israel go into the promised land, he reads out to them all the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. And then immediately after saying the blessings and the curses, he says, and this shall come to pass. This is your future. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, it's not that you're going to have one, but not the other. You're going to have both which I have set before you. And you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. He's gonna drive you into these nations because you are cursed, you will be cursed. And then you shall return, you shall repent. When you're suffering, serving these strange gods in these strange, in these strange Gentile nations, and you're completely humiliated and destitute, that then you're going to bring this to mind and you shall return to the Lord your God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. So you're going to be blessed and then you're going to be cursed. But this curse is not to destroy you completely. These curses are designed according to the covenant relationship. And if you're in this covenant relationship, you can't get out. There's no escape from the covenant relationship. 
So you're in this covenant relationship. You're going to be blessed because of the covenant that you've entered into. And then you're going to stray from it. And that doesn't absolve you of the covenant. You are still in covenant and the curses that you will incur demonstrate God's loyalty and faithfulness to the covenant. But these curses are not to wipe you out because God is in an eternal covenant with you. So these curses are to mend you, to have you mend your ways so that ultimately you can be blessed forever as the covenant people and this peculiar people above all the other people on the earth, that all the people of the earth are going to come to you and see God glorified in you. So you shall return to the Lord your God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. So you, you will comply ultimately with Torah, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. So, so something's going to happen that you will ultimately have your whole heart and soul in the Torah and in your relationship with Jehovah. That then the Lord your God will end your captivity. So he's going to drive you into captivity. You're going to be severely punished. But this great tribulation that befalls you is going to turn you. And you're going to finally embrace this covenant relationship you have wholeheartedly. God will get the fruit that he's been working for. He's declared the end from the beginning. That then the Lord your God will end your captivity and have compassion upon you. And will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. That is the, the, the original prophecy laid down by Moses and prophesied over the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel now is being stubborn. They don't want this relationship with God. So God is going to have them cursed according to Torah. But that's not going to end the covenant relationship. He says here, verse 16, But you said, No, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall you flee. So, yeah, there might be trouble, but we're going to flee from it and we'll be okay. God says, okay, yeah, you can flee. You will, you will certainly flee. And you said, uh, we will ride upon the swift. Therefore, th shall they that pursue you be swift. So you're making all these plans, but not by God. And God is saying, okay, do what you think is right, but trust me. When I say I'm going to destroy you, when I say I'm going to curse you, that's what I'm going to do. Why? Because God is saying, I'm faithful to my word. I've laid down, if you do this, I will do this. But if you do this, then I will do this. And so they have activated the covenant curses. And God is demonstrating his loyalty to the covenant by, by fulfilling the covenant curses. So here, here's a curse right here. So he says, they say, oh, we'll flee upon horses. No problem. We'll just flee upon horses. God says, yeah, indeed, you will flee. Oh, we'll ride upon the swift. God says, yeah, well, those that pursue you, they shall be swift. So here in, Deut in um, Isaiah 30, this you're going to hear the, the Deuteronomic curse. He says here in verse 17, 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. So, you know, you see the cowardice in, in these Western nations today, these nations that were so powerful, that sort of rugged individualism that uh, our ancestors had is gone. It's gone. 
Now we're afraid of anything. Somebody sneezes and we're just so terrified. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to get sick. We're just, we, we must have constant comfort nonstop. Well, now you have somebody, let's say the Taliban, who we are just wholesale bringing over. We don't know who's coming over. So we give them $85 billion in the most advanced military equipment the world has ever seen, $85 billion worth. And at the same time as equipping them over there, we start to bring them wholesale into the West. We don't know who they are. We just go, oh, yeah, you're Afghani, you're Afghani, come on in. And meanwhile, we leave the American citizens there. This, this, is, this is, as I say, it makes no sense unless it's part of a humiliation ritual where the elite have to demonstrate their loyalty to their overlords. So you can see now when a terrorist comes in to the West and doesn't even do anything, they just make a threat. I, they're, they're, we're going to drop a bomb at this location. Pure panic. No courage at all. Where are the men? Where's the backbone? None, zero, cowardice. 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. And this is speaking of Israel, who under Solomon became the most powerful nation on the planet. But this is their future. 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall you flee till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on a hill. So you're just, people just look and just see, this is what becomes of a nation that betrays their God. Now this should have an echo of Torah. In Deuteronomy 28, one of the curses of disobedience, verse 25, the Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. So you, you see today, America, no, the world has never seen military force like America's never this is this is power beyond imagination and it's it's it's, it's full of cowardice it's afraid it can't it, even a tiny little nation it can't fight with anymore so you go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth unfortunately that's the future of Israel and Judah that, that curse was upon all Israel. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20, and he said, this is God speaking, I will hide my face from them. God is known by Isaiah as the God who hides his face from Jacob. And he said, well, I don't believe in God. There's no God. Why, why would God let this happen? Because he's hiding his face from you so that you can incur all the evil that your deeds deserve. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. Well, okay, let's see how this works out for them. All the decisions they're making are disastrous. Let them, and they don't want nothing to do with me. Okay, Ron, you, you go your way. Let's see how it ends up. For they are a very froward, perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. This is like, this was written thousands of years ago. You know, this is written by, by Moses. And what a perfect description of our society today. Children in whom is no faith, a perverse generation, corrupt. Look what we do to our children. I, I, that's something I will never understand. Who would harm a child? And they do it wholesale, 
wholesale, with both hands gladly, pervert the children, destroy the children. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. So they have this human sacrifice, sacrificing these babies continually, nonstop, feeding Molech. And God is saying, you have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. So again, you look at, again, this what's, what's going on in Afghanistan. We would say for the past 20 years, these are not a people. These are some primitive cave dwellers. They're not to be taken seriously. They're, they're totally backward. They have no power. And suddenly, I think by God's orchestration, God allows it, they have the most advanced military equipment the world has ever seen. And God is going to, he says, I'm going to provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So this, what the developments in Afghanistan, in Iran, in Turkey, all of this spells coming disaster for Judah, for the nation that we call Israel, that is surrounded by these Islamic nations. They are now emboldened. And people from all over the world, or Muslims from all over the world, are going to go to Afghanistan to train for jihad, for the takedown of Judah primarily, and America secondarily. That's what's happening now. So these are a people that are not a people, and suddenly God is going to provoke them to jealousy. They're going to see, like, how are these people doing these things? They're not a people. Oh, yes, they are. Now they are. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation or a backward nation. For they are a nation void of counsel. That's what Isaiah says. They're making plans, but, but not by me, not by my spirit. So God says they're a nation void of counsel. They don't have any counsel. Neither is there any understanding in them. Again, this was written thousands of years ago. Perfect description of our societies today. There's just the, the leaders talk gibberish and nonsense, and there's, there's no common sense. You, you listen to them and you think, is this real? Is this, like, I have to pinch myself. Is, is, is this reality? Is this how these people think? Can they not see the fruit of their past decisions? And can't they, can't they say, okay, this isn't going anywhere, or this is heading to a terrible place? We need to change. No, they don't change course. They double down in the, in the, in the stupidity. There, there, there is, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. If only they would think about where this is heading. Instead of being bribed and taking money now, if you could think about your ultimate end, where this is going, what, the, what you're doing to your, your heritage, but they won't. How should one chase a thousand and two Put 10,000 to flight. Again, these are God's people. Like under Solomon, you think of how powerful uh, the, the tribe of Judah was and, and the nations of uh, Israel combined were. Most powerful, glorious nation on the planet. People all over the world came to Jerusalem to see this glory and to see this, to understand this great God that was behind the glory. Uh, in the latter end, one, one will chase a thousand. And you can see it today. One Taliban will chase a thousand Americans, will chase a thousand Canadians, 
a thousand Australians, a thousand Britons. We have no strength. How should one chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. So people think, oh, you know, think of again, Black Lives Matter. Their purpose was to get Joe Biden in power raised tens of millions of dollars, who knows, maybe billions, hundreds of millions to get Joe Biden in office. Now that he's in office, please, if you're black and you were part of this movement to get him in office, write to me and tell me how you have benefited. Because from what I can see, the whole nation is cursed. And God is saying that he is behind this cursing because it's a people that don't want to hear the word of God. And so he's behind them and he sold them. He wants nothing to do with them. And this is why you see $85 billion worth of the most advanced military equipment gifted to cave dwellers, to a foolish people who are, who are now becoming a powerful nation. Back to Isaiah 30 and verse 18. And I will read again from the complete Jewish Bible. Yet, Yehovah is just waiting to show you favor. He's still in covenant with you. He's just waiting, speaking of Judah, to show you favor. He will have pity on you from on high. For Yehovah is a God of justice. Happy are all who wait for him. This is the true justice. This is the justice we wait for. Those who are premature, running after social justice, okay, you have your justice. Don't come to God now looking for his justice because you you've chosen demonic justice. So have that. And God is going to give you that full, un undiluted. You are going to get the fruit of undiluted social justice. But God is saying, blessed are they who wait for him. Meaning we're not running after social justice. We're not getting behind manipulators. We're saying, no, we want nothing to do with these people. We want God's justice. He is a God of justice and we'll wait for him. And we read in Isaiah 25 when God does return and he's going to have this uh, feast for all peoples. On that day, they will say, see, this is our God. We waited for him to save us. So among Judah, there will be people who get it because the gospel will be preached, the gospel according to Isaiah. That's what Christ preached, the same gospel. That's what Paul preached. They all preached the same gospel, which is what Moses preached. This is the true good news. And, and there will be people who understand this and who are comforting Judah, who are informing Judah of what the scriptures really mean. And there will be then a faithful remnant. And that faithful remnant, when Christ returns, they'll be looking for him, waiting for him. And when he returns to save them, they will say, see, this is our God. And they're going to say this to their enemies. We waited for him to save us. This is Jehovah. We put our hope in him. We are full of joy, so glad he saved us. People in Zion who live in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you will weep no more. So Jerusalem is the focal point. It's, it's like the most intense place of suffering. Future. 
and it will be the most intense suffering the world has ever seen, focused on Jerusalem. And then from there, it'll ripple out and all of Jacob will suffer. But the intense, the most intense suffering will be aimed at Jerusalem. But the prophet, the good news, the gospel truth is in Jerusalem, the people of Zion will weep no more. Zion is a place that God is going to rule from. It's a physical geography that Christ is going to rule from. The people there, they will weep no more. At the sound of your cry, he will show you his grace. And this is this corresponds with Matthew 24 when he says, unless those days should be shortened, no flesh should be saved alive. And I know a lot of people just sort of generalize this to say, well, there's so much nuclear power in the earth that the earth could be killed. All the people on the earth could be killed a hundred times over. And if Christ didn't come, then all the earth would be destroyed. But that in context, if you begin in Matthew 23 and read Matthew 23 and 24 line by line carefully in context, that's not at all what Christ is saying. In context, the focus is on Jerusalem and the intense suffering on Jerusalem and the, the abomination that will make Jerusalem desolate and how if you're a Jew at this time, you better run for your life because there's going to be a devouring and a destruction and a consumption of Judah. Now, the devil's agenda is to completely wipe every Jew off the planet. And once he's done with every Jew off the planet, he'll want to wipe all Israelites off the planet. This focus, this, this pathological hatred, this murderous hatred of the Jews, God is not going to allow it to run unchecked. He is going to intervene because he's in covenant with them and he's going to stop it. And unless he intervened, no Jewish flesh would be saved alive. The devil would have his way and completely destroy every Jew. But at the sound of their cry, he's going to show them grace. That's why he said when he left or, or just before he was crucified, you will not see me again, Matthew 23, until you shall say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's when he comes, just before they're completely destroyed. At the sound of your cry, he will show you his grace. On hearing it, he will answer you. And so this is why when, when Second Isaiah, which is in the archive, this is the message to those who understand the gospel. The good news is not this generic, Jesus loves everybody, he's coming to save the world. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what Isaiah teaches, which is what Moses taught which is what Christ and the apostles taught. It's all the same gospel. In fact, we saw that in, in Hebrews that Paul says, and we believe it's the apostle Paul, he says that um, the gospel didn't benefit our, our forefathers. And they heard the same gospel. The, the difference is we believe it, they didn't believe it. But he says it's the same gospel. So we have to begin in Torah and say, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Torah? And we just read it there in Deuteronomy 30. That's the good news. That although you, you're on merit, you should be completely destroyed. That's not going to be your end. On covenant, you will be saved. 
because of God's faithfulness. That's the gospel message. And all the prophets say this, teach the same gospel. And somebody understands it in this end time when it becomes vital and it's preached all over the earth. And those who preach it are hated by all nations for his name's sake. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the God of Jacob forever. And the gospel is intricately associated with his name, with his identity. And the nations hate it. They don't want to hear this. And so Second Isaiah begins with comfort and keep comforting my people, says your God. Tell Jerusalem to take heart. Proclaim to her that she has completed her time of service, that her guilt has been paid off, that she has received at the hand of Jehovah double for all her sins. So there is a good news message here in Isaiah, specifically for Jerusalem. And somebody needs to be telling her the good news. Hey, Judah, your God reigns and you should wait for him. And so God says, blessed are they who wait for him. Back to Isaiah 30 and verse 20. And though Jehovah may give you, oh, sorry, this is Adonai. And though Adonai may give you but bread and water and not very much of that, your teacher will no longer hide himself. The King James says, yet shall not thy teachers, they pluralize it, be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. So from the Hebrew to the English, it's a judgment call. Is this plural or is it singular? It could go either way. I tend to lean to pluralizing it based on how this this word has been translated in similar contexts where it's plural. And it, the teachers give the sense of, of arrows, arrows pointing at a target, which is what the Torah, Torah is the way, and Torah is like an arrow heading to the target, bullseye. That's what the teachers are doing. They're teaching Torah, and they're enabling Judah to live the right way. And again, because we understand the broader narrative of the Bible, teachers would make sense to us. So those who are translating here in the complete Jewish Bible, they might not understand it this way, but it's the same, it's the same sense that Judah will, not, will no longer stray, that there will be a resource. If you're a Jew, you'll have a resource there with you that's going to enable you to always make the right choice, to be wise, to, to walk in counsel. That is the future. And we understand that that very much is the role that God is calling out first fruits today, that when he returns, we are going to participate in this role. And that's really this feast that we're observing right now, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Atonement, is about God gathering in one Israel and Judah. And Israel and Judah finally being at one with their God. And, and we as the teachers enabling this whole process to be fulfilled. So then immediately after that, then we can have the Feast of Ingathering, where the Gentile nations can now be invited to participate in this blessing from God. And verse 21 then, so explaining um, what happens now that these teachers are in place. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walk you in it. This is the way. Walk you in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Now, 
this is really interesting because what should come to mind here that finally, remember, Judah is deaf, deaf, dumb, and blind with respect to God. But now they can actually hear. So the curse has been lifted. And in Isaiah 6, remember Isaiah 6 and verse 10, make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ear, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And it's like, that's the last thing we would want for these people to convert and be healed. Well, when we read in context of Torah, we understand that God doesn't want a superficial conversion. He doesn't want a superficial repentance. He wants deep wholesale repentance. He's gonna be patient and he's going to allow destruction upon destruction upon destruction until finally with that remnant, he gets the wholehearted repentance. But Isaiah in hearing this curse and understanding the destruction that's gonna come upon these people because they will not hear the Torah, he asks in verse 11, then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. So it's in that setting up of the abomination of desolation that that's when finally this curse of blindness and deafness and arrogance is lifted. And, and from that point forward, they can actually be at one with God and, and hear him and see him and understand him. And so now when the teachers are there, they're actually listening. So continuing in Isaiah 30, verse 22, I'll go back to complete Jewish Bible. You will treat as unclean your silver-covered idols and your cast metal images plated with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloths or like menstrual cloths. You will say to them, get out of here. Praise God. They'll just, there's this real sense of awareness now of the filth of this idolatry. Then he will give you rain for the seed you use to sow your land. And, and the food that comes from the ground will be rich and abundant. You can just see, this is what we celebrated, the Feast of Tabernacles, this, this uh, vision of abundance. Well, here it is for Judah. When that day comes, your cattle will graze in spacious pastures. This is the good news. This is the gospel, according to Isaiah. The oxen and donkeys that work the land will eat a tasty mixture, winnowed free of chaff, spread by pitchfork and shovel. On every high mountain and lofty hill will be streams of flowing brooks on a great slaughter when the towers fall. So this blessing on Judah will be in a day of great slaughter. So, so who's being slaughtered? Well, Deuteronomy 30, let's go back to Torah. I'll read from the King James. And the Lord your God will put all these curses that we just read in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, coming into Deuteronomy 30, he'll put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecuted you. So as he comes, and some people have this view, and I've even heard it uh, among minister in the church, well, Jesus is just coming to save everybody. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if we read Zechariah 12, uh, Zechariah 12 carefully, the Bible says he's coming to save Judah. 
And as he saves Judah and gathers Israel, he's going to curse those who persecuted her. So there's going to be this, this, uh, <laughs> this uh, great war in the Valley of Decision here, where God is going to show these Gentile nations how deceived and how wrong they are, even though he's using them to drive Judah and Israel to repentance. So all these curses are going to be on the enemy. So uh, you can see here in verse 25, this blessing and curse dynamic or, or this uh, contrast. The people of Judah are enjoying these streams and flowing brooks and this blessing of fresh water on a day of great slaughter because he's coming to save Judah while he slaughters. Uh, Revelation 1, I believe is verse 7, says all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn when Christ returns because he's not returning to bless them. He's returning to curse them. Verse 26 of Isaiah 30. <clears throat> Moreover, the light of the moon will be as bright as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be seven times stronger. And when we read, uh, I think it's in Isaiah 60, um, I, I might be mistaken there, but there's a place where he says that Jerusalem is going to get an upgrade that brass will be turned to, to silver and silver will be turned to gold and, and everything, all the beauty is going to be upgraded. But here now, he says the moon is going to be as bright as the sun and the sun will be seven times stronger. And then what we know in the temple and when, when Christ comes, the rest of the world will benefit from the sun and the moon. Jerusalem won't even need it. Like the light of seven days in one. On the day, Jehovah binds up the wounds of his people and heals the bruise caused by the blow. So again, he's returning to save his people. That Matthew 24, unless he intervened, none of his people would be left alive. But he intervenes to save his people, and when he does that, he's going to destroy her enemies. Here comes the name of Jehovah from afar. So it seemed like he was so distant, and here he comes. His anger burning. What did I say earlier? Christ is angry. And we have to tell the brethren, Christ is returning in fury. We cannot take him for granted. We, we, if we, we cannot have this view that, oh, God just loves everybody. and He's coming in sandals to give the world a hug. This is not the God of the Bible. When we read the scriptures and we see how far his people have strayed from the scriptures and how evil this world is and how God's people are excelling even the Gentiles in evil, then we know Christ is coming in fury. And so says the Bible. Here comes the name of Yehovah from afar, his anger burning in thick rising smoke. His lips are full to the brim with fury his tongue a consuming fire. This, brethren, is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. This is the God we preach. Because he is a God of love, and because these people are destroying children's lives, that's why he's coming in anger. This is his creation made in his image and likeness. This is why he's coming in anger. Now, he says his tongue a consuming fire. This brought to mind um, Hebrews 12, 
and verse 27, which I'll read from King James. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made. That, oh, sorry, this is not the scripture that I wanted. Um, probably it's just a little bit up beyond this. Hang on a second. Let me just go back here. That was Isaiah. Sorry, brethren, let me just see here what's going on. I wanted Hebrews 12. Where am I? Just give me a moment. We'll get back here. Hebrews 12. Okay. Yes, we were here. We got here. Blessing. And then we come down to right here, Hebrews 12, 27. Give me a moment. Hebrews 12, 27. Yeah, uh, I should have gone to 29. So um, Hebrews 12, 27. Let's just take it a little bit further. He says, uh, shaking those things that remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably implying there's a way and there can be a people who serve god unacceptably so just because we're serving god just because we keep the feast days doesn't make it acceptable just because we bring offerings doesn't make it acceptable so the apostle is warning here we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And maybe that's something that in the church of God, we're beginning to lack reverence. We feel we can just show up. We're coming to the, the great God on the high day. We'll come in a t-shirt. Ah, it's just God. You know, we participate in immoral acts that's just god he's forgiving he, he loves everybody mm, that sounds like a way of serving god that's not acceptable he's a great king we come with our offerings before a great king with reverence and godly fear so again sometimes our, our ministers perhaps are giving the impression oh god loves everybody and everything's acceptable no it's not and everything is not acceptable we serve a great king let us that we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. That's our God. You see like a fire that when you see these wildfires and they just move so quickly and just consume everything in their path. That's our God. That's an image. Excuse me. That's an image of our God. So Isaiah says here, <clears throat> His lips are full to the brim with fury. His tongue, a consuming fire. That's the God we serve. Verse 28. His breath is like a racing torrent that rises up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of destruction. Remember, the gospel is being preached at this time by those who understand the name of God. And as it's being preached, all nations hate them. They hate this truth that's being preached. 
And all nations then agree together to surround Jerusalem and to destroy the Jews and to remove them from the land. Now, when God comes, he's coming to sift the nations because this gospel message is being preached and in all the nations, there's going to be repentance. So he's coming to sift the sheep from the goats. And these nations that do not get on board with the gospel, that, that are so entrenched in their bizarre ideology that they cannot repent, well, he's coming to sift them to destruction and put a bridle in the people's mouths to lead them astray. So this is um, like God is saying, it's like with Pharaoh, you want this? I'm going to let you just go off full, full, uh, full intensity in the direction that you want. So the, the, the phrasing in the scripture is he hardened Pharaoh's heart, meaning he allowed Pharaoh to have his way. And then that just emboldened Pharaoh further in that way. Well, today, the enemies of Judah are going to be emboldened in this way. And they're going to have an ideology that, that they just get totally, oh, this is so true. And they think this is the right way to go. And God is going to allow it. Have your way. And it's going to completely lead them astray. But he says, while these people are going to be destroyed, he says to Judah, your song will be like one that is sung on a night when a holy feast is kept. Meaning when the feast is kept, they're singing. And again, the, the nations today are doing everything they can. They want nothing to do with the God of Israel. And so singing is illegal. You cannot sing. Churches can, cannot assemble, and they certainly cannot sing hymns because that's the devil's agenda. God's agenda, he wants, to, he wants singing. He's a God that loves music, loves praise with music. And so the song of Judah will be like one that is sung on a night when a holy feast is kept. And your hearts will be happy, as if walking to the sound of the flute, to the mountain of Jehovah, to the rock of Israel. Jehovah will make his glorious voice heard, and he will reveal his arm descending with furious anger in a flaming firestorm. There it is again. He's coming with furious anger in a flaming firestorm with cloudbursts, tempests, and hailstones. And this should just bring us to mind of what we studied together in the book of Revelation, which is in the archives, just quickly, Revelation 6, 12. Then I watched as he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth, worn in mourning, worn in mourning, and the full moon became blood red, and the stars fell to the earth, just as a fig tree drops its figs when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. And the, then the earth's kings, the rulers, the generals, the rich and the mighty, indeed everyone, slave and free, hid himself in the caves and among the rocks in the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one sitting on the throne and from the fury of the Lamb. The Bible is consistent. And the God we preach, if we're preaching the true God, we're preaching a God of fury. That this God that's returning is returning in fury. And he's a consuming fire. And hide yourself. And those of us in covenant, let's serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. How is your reverence and godly fear as we gather together 
uh, for this Feast of Atonement? How is our reverence and godly fear? So everybody flees from the fury of the Lamb, for the great day of their fury has come, and who can stand? We'll just finish off here in Isaiah 30, verse 31. For Jehovah's voice will terrify, this is interesting, in, in uh, the King James, he's called the Assyrian, here in, in the complete Jewish Bible, Asher. We were talking about Egypt <laughs> and uh, Judah's faithlessness and running to Egypt. Now we're talking about God's return, and suddenly we're talking about Assyria, and specifically the Assyrian. The Assyrian is the Antichrist. And uh, last week, I may have made a comment that the Assyrian is in the Middle East. That today, what we anciently called Assyria would be Turkey, Syria, Iran, part of Iraq. All of that, those nations are anciently Assyria. And descendants from Assyria, this is the statement I made last week, descendants from Assyria have made their way into Afghanistan. So Afghanistan is made with many, many tribes, many different different tribes, and they, they are different factions and they war against each other. But certainly Assyrian descendants are in Afghanistan today. And then I believe one of the brethren posted to say, well, I thought the Assyrians were German. Well, why? When I came into the church, I was certainly told that, that Assyria is Germany. Uh, but that really, if we're talking genetically, that doesn't make sense. You look at these Germans, blonde hair, blue eyed, they don't come from the Middle East. They come from Northern Europe. You look at their language, which is a uh, proto-Indo language, Indo-European language. The Assyrians spoke a Semitic language and there's no trace of Semitic language in the German language. It's a proto-Indo-European language. So the, you know, the reason we say, I believe the reason we say Assyria is Germany is because in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, coming out of two world wars, where Germany led the, 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 or initiated the wars, global wars, and showed a level of brutality, which was really unprecedented and specifically against the Jews, that that all seemed to match what we were looking for. And if we believe that this was the end, we wouldn't think there's yet another kingdom to arise. So we look at that and we think, oh, this must be the fourth beast of Daniel, and therefore it's Germany, and Germany has, the, the Assyrian has traits of real uh, ruthlessness, therefore Germany is Assyria. But there's no genetic argument for Germany being Assyria. And here we are in 1972 and we're through. Well, by my watch, it's 2021. And we're not through. A lot of time has passed, coming up some 50 years since 1972, and we're through. And a lot has happened. And we're seeing now the resurrection of the Ottoman Empire. So these Ottomans, again, Turkey, this is ancient Assyria. Uh, and, and we see the hatred of Judah. And Judah is being surrounded by these Islamic nations. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. It makes a lot more sense for us to look to the Middle East. And also, I think what happened was in understanding Israel and the, the identity of Israel, coming to understand that, okay, 
uh, the Bible has a lot to say about Israel and America being the most powerful nation the world has ever seen, Britain being the most expansive empire uh, the world has seen, we then saw that, oh, this is about Israel. And we basically forgot about Judah. And we made the Bible a book about modern Israel. <clears throat> and therefore, the whole geographic focus shifted from the Middle East to America. When we can't do that, we've been reading the Bible is very specific. And this is where the Bible was very puzzling. Why, why does the Bible talk about little nations like, like Moab? You know, why does it talk about these small nations, the, the descendants of Lot? Why, why does it talk about them? And it doesn't talk about America. Therefore, we have to find, oh, America is Israel. That's why. Well, yes, that's why. But more specifically, because the Bible is focused on Judah and specifically Jerusalem. And we have to locate Jerusalem geographically on the map. And once we've done that, we look north for the king of the north, and we look south for the king of the south. And, and geography plays a part in these prophecies. So uh, I'll just say that again. This is my opinion. And I'm advocating for us to look to the Middle East, to watch Jerusalem, and watch what is happening with the nations that surround Jerusalem. So in the end, the Antichrist is Assyrian. And when Christ returns, he's going to crush the Assyrian. And so he says here, um, reading from Complete Jewish Bible, for Adonai's voice will terrify the Assyrian. As with his scepter, he strikes them down. Every sweep of the punishing rod that Yehovah imposes on him will be to tambourines and lyres as he brandishes his arm against them in battle. So there's going to be music and singing and celebration as Christ crushes the Assyrian. For the Tophet fire pit has long been ready, prepared for the king made large and deep. And so this is just a part of the Middle East. Uh, I believe it's in Egypt that, uh, or actually it's in Judah, that just was constantly burning. The concept of the, the, the Gehenna fire. And God's saying this, this fire pit has long been ready, prepared for the king, made large and deep with plenty of wood and blazing with fire. Like a stream of sulfur, Jehovah's breath sets it aflame. He's a consuming fire, and he's coming to destroy the wicked. And those who are faithful and wait for him are going to be truly, truly blessed. So that brings us up to Isaiah 30. God willing, we'll continue in a couple of weeks with Isaiah 31. As I mentioned a couple of weeks, because next week, is the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, I will not be doing the Wednesday night Bible study during the Feast of Tabernacles, but God willing, I will be doing a daily study during the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'll probably broadcast at 9 a.m. Eastern time uh, during the feast, uh, at least six or seven days during the feast. Uh, we'll see, I'm going, I think I know which book I want to cover. Uh, I will do a daily study during the feast. If you're unable to see it live, it will be in the archive. Brethren, thanks so much uh, for being with us this evening. Uh, may God bless you. May he bless your fast and your observance of this high holy day of the Feast of Atonement. Have a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles, and God willing, we'll gather back on Wednesday night 
in a couple of weeks. God bless you, brethren. Good night.